Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Rob Clark. Dr. Clark is a postdoctoral researcher in the Department of Entomology at Washington State University. He's working with Professor Dave Crowder. Rob is currently working on a USDA-funded project that aims to better understand pest insects and diseases in cultivated legumes of the Palouse. As an insect ecologist, Rob has worked on a range of insect species important to forests and agriculture in both New England and the Pacific Northwest. Hello, Rob. Hi. Please uh, tell us a little bit about your area of research here at Washington State University. Yeah, sure. Um, by training, I'm an insect ecologist, uh, and I really want to understand what causes outbreaks of insect pests. Uh, in some years or locations, uh, insect herbivores, whether it's aphids or beetles or caterpillars, will have really dramatic outbreaks. Um, but in other conditions, they don't really seem to outbreak at all. Um, why is that? It's a really good basic science question, I think, but it's also one really relevant to agriculture because uh, predicting outbreaks is a really important component of effective pest control. I try to look at the big picture as an ecologist um, and try to understand what impacts these populations. And for me, that's looking at things through the lens of, of food webs. Uh, there are many reasons insect herbivores can outbreak, but their two most general causes are an abundance of food resources, which ecologists call bottom-up effects, or a lack of predators, which ecologists call top-down effects. So think, think things like plants that are susceptible to herbivores would be something that provides a lot of food to herbivores and allows them to outbreak, or a lack of natural enemies. If there's no biological control, you could have insect outbreaks as well. Um, so that's a general framework I have as an, an ecologist and how I hope to approach applied insect problems in um, agricultural systems. I know as a weed scientist, you know, weeds tend to be with us in most years, but I've noticed that about insects. Mm -hmm. You'll go years without any problem and then all of a sudden you just get hammered with them. Yeah. So that's a very interesting, uh, if we could understand that, that would be very helpful. What, what kind of agricultural insects are you looking at specifically? Uh, my past work has been on caterpillars, actually in forest ecosystems, and I've changed gears a lot and now I'm working on pea aphids in cultivated legumes in the Palouse. Um, they're a really fascinating insect to work with. Um, they have this really high population growth and they have this one-two punch where they will outbreak and then they can transmit a whole melange of pathogens to plants they're feeding on. Um, aphids, while they're feeding, can transmit things like viruses to the, their plants and this actually can do more damage in the feeding itself. Uh, the pathogen we're looking at right now as a model system is peonation mosaic virus or PEMV for short. Um, and it has had some significant outbreaks in the past in the Palouse and caused a lot of yield losses. And But then in other years, it really hasn't been much of an issue at all. So that gets to sort of my key question as an ecologist is understand why that is the case. So how do you go about studying aphid outbreaks in the Palouse? That's a great question. So a lot of research has examined how biological control agents can prevent population growth of aphids. Uh, and more research still has gone into determining you know, what 
crop varieties or species are susceptible to them. I'm trying to build on this work to help us make you know, better predictive models for herbivores to see when these outbreaks might occur. Um, the research I'm doing in the, this summer and past summer, we're currently monitoring aphid populations in a range of habitats in the Palouse and then also along the Snake River. Uh, pea aphids that attack cultivated legumes, especially dry pea, um, are found on other plant species that are not cultivated uh, like dry pea, things like um, hairy vetch, which is a weed on the, along the Snake River Valley. Um, it's also used as a cover crop, is used as cattle forage, so it's a pretty abundant plant uh, and it is a really great host plant for pea aphids, unfortunately. So as I said earlier, a fundamental question in entomology is understanding how outbreaks start and I think our observation that hairy vetch is abundant and that aphids can also feed on it is really important to understanding the patterns of outbreaks. Pea aphids, believe it or not, actually colonize the Palouse from populations that are overwintering as far west as Corvallis, Oregon. Um, and that's generally where we've thought up until now where the pea aphids come from, essentially. Uh, however, I think that this hairy vetch populations play an important role in their dynamics within a given season. So we're closely tracking populations of pea aphids this year on vetch and then also tracking population on dry pea that are along the Snake River. Okay. Are you finding evidence that the, that the pathogens uh, move directly from vetch into peas? Yeah. So that was one of the first things we wanted to test is we see pea aphids feeding on vetch um, in large numbers. And then we see, you know, pea aphids are one of the most important pests of dry pea along the river. So uh, the first thing we did is collected some plant tissue and tested them for uh, legging pathogens. And we found that hairy vetch has a lot of PNHL mosaic virus, this one virus we're studying a lot. Um, so that's really, that's really exciting to me as an ecologist, but also raises some flags that this uh, host plant is actually potentially a really important reservoir for some crop pathogens. Um, so we've been able to demonstrate this with the greenhouse experiments. If we grow a pea plant right next to a vetch plant and put infective aphids, so aphids that can transmit the pathogen on vetch, and then watch the aphids move over to pea, they can transmit it. So it's a simple experiment, but it's a really important thing to demonstrate that vetch can actually have the virus replicate in its tissue, and then aphids can feed on one and move it to another. Um, so that's kind of the smoking gun we were looking for. But when we did field trials, it didn't look like vetch was any better or worse at transmitting the pathogens than pea plants themselves. So one of the things we really wanted to figure out was, well, if you have weedy vetch coming up in your field, should you be concerned that it'll increase the rate of transmission of, of pathogens in attack crops? doesn't seem to be the case. Um, where the we're going now is we're thinking this happens at a landscape scale. So you have these really large populations of vetch in canyons, aphid outbreaks occurred there, and then they ride wind currents up to the Palouse. Um, so we have greenhouse evidence and then some landscape scale data we're following up on now. Okay. So you're finding this mostly along the river where this vetch grows, but mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, I think earlier, uh, vetch is also a component in some cover crops. Yeah. As cover crops yeah. get going, that might be mm -hmm. uh, of concern as well. So uh, how can the movement of aphids between cultivated plants, your peas mm -hmm. and weeds such as vetch be important to the control of, of this pest and the pathogens they carry? Yeah. So this work, we're still active in this research, so we haven't come up with you know management decisions yet. Um, but I think the current framework we have is we it would be really useful to use vetch actually as an early warning system. Oh. So if you if it's much warmer in there in these lower areas, canyons along the Snake River and other places, 
Um, so the vetcher are coming out a month or two before the pea plants are even big enough for aphids to feed on them. So if we see these viruses building up in those plant populations or aphids building up quickly, um, it might help us predict that there's going to be an outbreak year for aphids. And I think that's the best use of this information because a lot of the places I'm collecting these pathogens um, are sort of like roadside edges, ditches, sort of like disturbed environments that aren't managed in any way. Um, it's where these outbreaks kind of look like they're starting. Okay. So I could envision something where these areas would be monitored and then yes. have some kind of website or place growers could go to see whether this is going to be uh, predicted to be a bad PAPD yeah, or yeah. not. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's definitely what we're doing this year and I'm very excited about that because – we have a bunch of traps set up normally in uh, pea fields all throughout the Palouse, and now we've added some uh, to these vetch populations, and I think it will be very useful. And that's going to be actually put on the legumevirusproject.org website. Um, definitely our pan traps that are along the Snake River Valley are going to be added to that in pea fields. In addition to peas, do we see this aphid on other legumes? Because we Thank grow you. chickpeas, we grow lentils. Uh, now we're introducing mm -hmm. uh, uh, fall sown. Yeah. Uh, peas is is this a pest on some of those other legumes or yeah. pretty much just on the dry pea? Yeah, that's a really great question. So dry pea is definitely what we're focusing on. It doesn't seem like um, pea aphids can transmit this pathogen to like garbanzo, for example. Um, but really, not much work has been done on it. Um, so we're hoping to look more into garbanzo. And the other thing I wanted to note that was important is that. Um, hairy vetch is not the only weedy legume that occurs in the Palouse. There are lots of other species that have escaped cultivation or are exotic weeds. Um, and the thing that's kind of good to know is stuff like clover, uh, sweet clover, hop clovers, because everything that's called a clover so far that we've tested um, is really not a competent host for, for pathogens that attack cultivated legumes. Um, and in fact, they're actually really poor hosts for pea aphids too. Well, that's good um, news. So we're hoping to follow up on that. That maybe there's some cover crops that would be better for controlling pea aphid populations that are at a regional scale. If our listeners are interested in some of this work, is there a place they can go to find more information, like a website, or do you mm -hmm. put out an annual report on what you're doing? Or yeah, so right now, my as I mentioned, my work is being contributed to the LegumeVirusProject.org website hosted by University of Idaho. Um, but this is all very new work. I've been here for a year and a half, and we're just getting this project started. And I think it's going to be it's going to expand to include more than pea aphids, things like pea leaf weevil and wireworms uh, use other host plants in this area. We don't really know much about what host plants they could use. Um, so I'm interested to hear from growers in, you know, what are some of the up and coming pests and legumes and wheat that we really have struggle to predict their outbreaks and it's difficult to control them for that reason. So um, I think we're also going to post my email in here as well. Um, so we'll, we'll make sure your email gets into our yeah. show notes and the, the website you mentioned earlier at Idaho, can yep. you tell us that website address? Do you know the URL? Oh yeah. It's www.leggingvirusproject.org. All right. Very good. Well, Rob, I appreciate you, you coming in and talking to us about your research. It sounds like, uh, it could really expand to cover quite an area and you're going to be very busy and we'll yeah. look forward to seeing what you discover in the coming years. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter 
at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.